You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church, Salt Lake City. For more information on our church, go to c3saltlakecity.com. Hey, God bless you. God bless you. You can be seated. Man, it is. Uh, am I working? Is this thing working all right? I wasn't sure. I don't, I don't sound loud enough. Give me some volume. Give me some volume. I like power. But anyhow, it's, uh, hey, can we just thank God for the worship team? These guys were incredible. Thank you so much. Tremendous anointing that you've allowed to come out of you. You know, Jesus said my words are spirit and they're life, and you've allowed his spirit and his life to come out of you. Just, just thank God for him. Thank God for him. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Um, I tried to get here a month ago, had 13 delays in the airport, and finally a canceled flight. I was aggravated. The last time, uh, right before they canceled it, I was, uh, I was going to get here, I think, at 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> this is insane. Anyhow, I made it. So I am so glad to be right here, C3 Salt Lake City. This is actually my first time in Salt Lake City. I nearly became a Mormon yesterday, but <laughs> Pastor Vince converted me back, so I'm so glad I'm here. But anyhow, you have got an incredible team. Pastor Vince and Becca, thank you guys so much. They've they got such a, an amazing heart, an amazing team around them that I had the opportunity to talk to last night and then watched the huddle early this morning and saw the dedication, the commitment of so many of you. Thank God that you're here. We, we love Pastor Jurgen and Leanne, and, uh, and they, they, they have built an, an amazing culture out of C3 San Diego that is being replicated right here at C3 Salt Lake City. I believe that your greatest days are coming. This is no mistake. Even though I couldn't make it last month, I love the fact that I'm here for Vision Builder. And one of the reasons why is because God's going to move you out of this arena into a great facility because God wants to see exponential growth as a result. You watch that film. It's amazing what happens when one person touches another that touches another that touches another. It becomes a very strong rippling effect that changes the destiny of tens of thousands of people. I love what Pastor Vince said. The church is, it just doesn't exist on Sunday morning. The church lives through us in the community, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. And let me say something just real quickly. The definition of sacrifice, we're into vision builders. It's going to culminate in, the, in the, what, June 2nd. And uh, the definition of sacrifice is the willingness to give up something of value in order to gain something of greater value. And so I want to challenge you where that's concerned. The willingness, the willingness to give up something of value in order to gain something of greater value. So I want to encourage you to do two things. Number one, sow your greatest seed. Number two, attach to that seed what I call a faith promise offering. I've watched this happen for years all over the world. And what a faith promise is, is God, I'm going to, I'm going to initiate it through a great seed. But inside of me, I can sense God, you challenging me to put down this amount, that, that as you bring it to me, then you'll get it through me. I have watched people do this uh, for 30 years. It's amazing, young or old. I've watched individuals that have put down 
100,000, 100, well, I had a printer in our church. He had a printing little business. He put down $120,000. I thought, no way. This was 25 years ago. I no way. I didn't, I didn't even count it in the total. Talk about a lack of faith. He was an odd guy. I did it in February. In the month of March, he came in, and he walked into my office, and he had a big trench coat on. And he opened the thing up, pulled out $10,000 in $100 bills, and threw it on my desk, and he said, month one. <laughs> Owning a printing business, I wanted to make sure that they were legitimate. The next month, our receptionist said, that guy's coming in again. I said, send him back. He opened, he walked in, he threw down another $10,000. He said, month two. That's all he said, turned around and walked out. Did that every single month for one year. Amazing what happens when you begin to stretch, when you begin to reach out. I want to read from Luke's gospel. If you have your Bible, I want to read from Luke's gospel, chapter 6. And I've entitled this, Stretch. And I want to read a story. I want you to listen to this because, if anything, I want something to happen on the inside of your thinking. I don't want to just have a message. I don't want church as normal. I want a challenge to take place, something that will grip you on the inside, something that will unlock the deposits that God's placed on the inside of you something that will crawl and gnaw on the inside until you're no longer satisfied with where you're at. You're no longer satisfied with what you're doing. It's easy to get satisfied. Nobody would argue with the definitions that Noah Webster gave. Noah Webster wrote the original. He standardized the English language, wrote his first dictionary in 1828, with, um, I think it was 12,000 definitions, 10,000 scriptural references. He put his testimony of salvation in the front of that dictionary. When it came to defining uh, old, he never used a reference to, 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 uh, to, to, to years, to the date of birth. When he came to defining old, he called it stale, beyond usefulness, or belonging to the past. And so, it's easy for people to be old when they're young. They get stale. They're beyond usefulness. They think of the way it was. They belong to the past. That's the definition of being old. You can be old at 25. You can be young at 85. It all depends on your attitude in life. We don't want to get stale, so I want to move us out of any kind of staleness that we might be in. In Luke's Gospel, listen, Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, beginning with verse 6, it says, Now he entered... On another Sabbath also, excuse me, that, that it happened on another Sabbath that he entered the synagogue and taught. There was a man whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him that they might find an accusation against him. He knew their thoughts and said to the man with a withered hand, rise and stand here. He arose and stood. Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or evil, to save life or destroy it? And when he looked around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. It's a powerful thought right here. Two big thoughts that I want to focus our attention on. The first thing is it calls our attention to which hand. It could have said his hand, but it said his right hand was withered. 
didn't say it was dead. It said it was withered. The right hand, symbolically, has always been the hand of influence. Now, if you're left-handed, don't let that bother you today, but it's always been the hand of power. When you shake, you shake with the right hand. If we had a head table set up and a guest speaker was here, he'd always be to the right of the lectern or the podium. The right hand, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was seated at the right hand of majesty on high. It's a hand of influence. It's a hand of authority. It's a hand of power. And it said it was withered. It was withered. It was not what it could be or what it was at one time. A lot of people live with a withered life. They're not where they could be. They're not where they should be. The hunger that they had is no longer there. The, the impetus, the passion, the fire has, a, has had a withering effect. There's another thought in this. Listen to me. We only got, only got one guy in the front row, man. Old buddy right here. I mean, I don't know what happened to all the guys. They just they leave when I show up. I never hit a woman. Never hit a woman. I, I seldom hit senior leaders. I got another one. Man, praise God. We got somebody with some courage. So I get excited. I hit people. Only hit the good-looking guys. It's an impartation of manhood, actually. But now listen, 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 listen. The other thought here about this withered hand not only was it the right hand, a hand of influence, a hand of power, a hand of authority, a hand of energy, a hand of enthusiasm, but the right hand is unique in the fact, or the hand is unique in the fact, because it's with the hand that we reach. It's with the hand that we touch. It's with the hand that we give. We take something of ourself and we extend it. It's with the hand that we work. The hand is so symbolic throughout Scripture. It means it has such a meaning because if I'm going to give, I have to reach for a wallet, a credit card, a, a check, something. I have to use my hand. If I'm going to touch somebody, I have to use my hand. If I'm going to lift somebody out of where they are into where they need to be, I have to use my hand. The Bible said Jesus would touch people and they would be made whole. He had to use his hand in order to do that. When we reach out, when we shake, when we touch, you coddle a child, you're using your hands. The hand was withered. Now I want you to see what Jesus said and create a reverse connection. He went up to this man and he said, stretch out your hand and the hand was made whole the power the influence the zeal the strength the ability to work to give to lift to change to help it came back into the man's life stretch out stretch out if you don't stretch you'll wither I'm going to say it again. If you don't stretch, life is designed in such a way there, were, there always has to be a stretching of giving, a stretching of living, a stretching of touching, a stretching of 
helping, a stretching of taking what I have and releasing it. And the symbolic, this symbolism, it's only done through the hand. So when stretching is minimized, are you, are you listening? Are you listening? One of the reasons why we're into Vision Builders Month is because it's a force of stretching. When I refuse to stretch, when I draw my hand back from giving, when I draw my hand back from reaching, when I draw my hand back from touching and lifting and going out of my way, whatever that looks like, I'm too shy, I'm too embarrassed, I might get rejected, I don't have enough. Whenever I create the excuse, my hand is drawn back. When my hand is drawn back, it stops stretching. And when my hand stops stretching, my life at that moment will begin to wither. There's a withering. Are you with me? Are you with me? There's a withering that will automatically happen when I draw myself back. I was years ago in a place called Jamshedpur, India. I've been to India a bunch. I started going to India in 1990. And I was, I was up in what they call the central eastern part. They called it the missionary graveyard. And the man that brought me in had graduated from Bangalore, a Bible school south of Bangalore, India. He went up there. He told me it took him seven years to get his first convert. Then the work began to grow. And this had, now years had passed. And I went up there. I met the guy. I went up there, and they set up a tent. And we filled the tent with pastors. Then we had to create another tent. And we added that, and we filled that. We were in the newspaper. We were on TV, radio. They came out because they'd never seen so many pastors. That's not the story. The story is unusual. If you know anything about India, you know they were colonized by Great Britain. Any, any place that got colonized by Great Britain has to have two breaks a day. You got to give them a morning one, a tea break. And you got to do an afternoon tea break and a biscuit. I don't like tea. We drink coffee. We don't eat biscuits. We give them to dogs. We eat cookies. So anyhow, they were doing this afternoon tea break. So they were all out in the field. I'm in the tent. We had this big fan. It must have been six foot high. Huge fan, you know, because it's hot. It's hot. It's hot. It's hot. And so I was going to say something else, but I you know, to calm it down here. But I got this fan blowing on me, and the guy that organized the event is next to me. And we're just us. We're just us in the tent. They're all out in the field. And I looked straight ahead, and an older gentleman came walking in the tent. He had a white cane. He had a sack around his neck, big sack hanging over here and a big sack hanging over. He walked and he sat down, and there was something unusual about him that captured my attention. And sometimes you'll see somebody, and there's just something about him that just kind of captures you. I was inquisitive. And I asked the man next to me, I said, who is he? He said, well, he's blind. And I said, yeah, well, I, you know, the white cane gave it away. And I said, but, but who is he? He said, well, he's 76 years old. And he said, see those sacks around his neck? And I said, yeah. He said, you know what they have in them? I said, no. He said, Bible literature. He said, that blind man. I want you to listen to this. 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 (laughs) 
You only, you only hit the ones you love. You he said, that blind man has walked all over India for 40 years, passing out Bibles and Bible literature. In fact, according to the Indian Bible Society, which is the second oldest Bible society in the world, only next to America, which celebrated several years ago their bicentennial, 200 years, which keeps accurate records. According to the Indian Bible Society, that blind man has passed out more Bibles and more Bible literature than anybody in the history of this nation. And then he told me this. He said, for 40 years, everywhere the blind man went, he was led by a little boy. And every little boy that ever led the blind man grew up to become a pastor. He said, do you know how I know that? And I said, no. He said, because at one time I was a little boy. Now, in a culture like India, a blind man should have gotten a tin cup and found himself a street corner because culturally, that culture told him to beg the rest of his life. But somewhere that blind man refused to look at what he couldn't do. You can spend your whole lifetime making excuses on what you and I can't do. Culture told him to find a tin cup and beg. But that man must have looked at himself years ago and said, I might not have eyes, but I have ears. I might not have eyes, but I have hands. I might not have eyes, but I've got legs. I'm not going to major on what I don't have, but I'm going to take what I have and I'm going to stretch as far as I can go with what God gave me. And that man has affected history across the nation of India. Are you with me so far? Never major. Never look at. Never make an excuse. I don't know if this man ever made him in this story, but his hand was withered. And what Jesus said to cure it is stretch, stretch, stretch. Stretch because when I choose at any time in my life, when I stop, I don't care where I'm at, what age I'm at, the moment I stop stretching, I'll start withering. I got a good friend of mine. His name is Wayne Myers. Wayne Myers is called the icon of Mexico. He was saved on the USS Enterprise in World War II in the South Pacific fighting the Japanese. It's the only aircraft carrier in our entire fleet. There was never bombed during World War II. The Japanese dropped a 500-pound armor-piercing bomb on top of it. It bounced off a wooden flight deck and exploded in the Pacific. He spent 18 months on that ship in the South Pacific. He got saved after the bomb didn't explode. It's a good time to give your life to God. He came out of that, out of, out of the military, went to a San Diego hospital, had nine feet of intestines taken out of him. He said, I can eat to this day more red, more hot chili than any Mexican. <laughs> Wayne Myers is 97 years old. God told him to go to Mexico and build the church. Couldn't speak a word of Spanish. He went to Mexico, married Martha. She was an American. He's from Mississippi. People from Mississippi don't even speak English good. Went to Mexico, been there for over 70 years, built 5,000 churches across Mexico, raised tens of millions of dollars. I went with him to Singapore when he was about 88 years old, 
And, and he told me, he said, I can't die. I love that. I love that. 88 years. I can't die. I said, I call him uh, Brother Wayne. I said, why can't you die, Brother Wayne? He said, because I've got too much to do. There's 300 churches that I've got to help build this year. I can't die. Three weeks ago, I had breakfast. My wife and I had breakfast with Wayne Myers and Martha. He's turning 97 the last day of August this year. He preaches four times every week, goes all over the world declaring the gospel and raising money to build churches all over. Are you with me? Are you listening to me? My God, you're never too young. You're never too old. I took a young kid one time, name was Mike Richards, that graduated from Christ for the Nations. The only guy, I've watched thousands of students graduate. The only guy that ever walked up to me after graduation and said, what do you think I ought to do? Nobody asked me that. I don't know why. His father pastors a 10,000-member church in El Paso. His grandfather pastors a 10,000-member church in Juarez, and he's asking me what I think he ought to do. He could do whatever he wants. He could go work with his dad. He could work with his grandfather. But he asked me, and I said, you want to know what I think you ought to do? I said, I'm going to put you on an airplane. You'll know where this is. Nobody else will. I'm going to put you on an airplane. I'm going to fly you 10,000 kilometers, 7,000 miles to the island of Vanuatu, the very south island called where the nobody exists. It just came out of cannibalism, and you're going to spend a year there, and you're going to preach the gospel. He did it. He went eight months, not a year, because the cyclones came, and he got engaged to the girl from Finland. I called her the Finnish wonder, and he had to get back to marry her, but he spent eight months on the Tana, the island of Tana. There's only one little ring road. It's got an active volcano that blows up every single cotton-picking day and shoots lava everywhere, and he stayed there, hiked that thing, walked into a village of 300 people, showed the Jesus film with a power generator and a, and a, and a sheet, and that village said, you're the man, you're the man. We had a prophecy in our village that when our, that when our crops dried up in the fields, somebody would show us and show us the way of eternal life, and the whole village gave their life to God. Are you hearing me? I'm looking at some of you young people right now. My God, take your eyes off of a screen and put your eyes on a world that wants you. Take your eyes off littleness and begin to lift up your eyes and look. There's a harvest of humanity all around us that we can touch, that we can reach. Live big. Live full. Live explosively in life. Dream big. Live big. Think big because there's a world out there. Stretch. Are you with me? Are you with me? Are you with me? If you're not, I'm coming up there. I'm coming up there after a while. I'm going to find you. I love, I love, I love the, uh, the, uh, the video. I love the video. One created another that created another. We used to have in our church what we called Bring a Friend Sunday. Reason why we called it Bring a Friend, because I read the four Gospels, and in the four Gospels it says, and they brought and they brought, and they brought. I remember reading it years ago. I call them the unnamed heroes. Didn't say who they were. So they, they are us. And they brought to Jesus, and they brought. They brought the sick. They brought the demon-possessed. They brought the paralytic. They brought the hurting. They brought the down and outer. They brought the poor. They brought, they brought, they brought, they brought. Something happens when you bring people into an atmosphere like this. I'm telling you, something happens because there's an envelope, a baptism of God's presence. So I used to tell them, I said, don't invite people. Bring them. 
you invite them, you give them a way out. I've told young people, how many, how many un- unmarried young people we got, you know, that could, could be married someday? How about guys, guys, unmarried? Came to see you. Only reason why you're not married is you have not because you ask not. I never, I never asked my wife to marry me. I commanded her. I don't like rejection. I just true story. A true story. She'll tell you. I looked right at her and I said, her "Name is Ginger." I said, "Ginger, I love you. You will marry me." She said, "Okay." So, phew, well, that was easy. If you'd done that a while ago, man. Are you here? And so I told, I told him. I said, I said, I, I can't. I don't have time to go into this whole story because I got too many stories. But I said, for one month, I said, write down the names of people you're going to bring. We're going to bathe this thing in prayer. We're going to pray over this thing. And then right before that, four or five days before that Sunday, I said, reach out to him and just tell him I'm bringing you. This Sunday's bring a friend Sunday. You're my friend. When you say that, she changes things. You're my friend. I'm bringing you to church. So we had one of our guys. He, was, uh, he, he worked for the government. And he worked up to He had a coworker named Ernesto. Ernesto was one of the original Navy SEALs. The Navy SEALs started in 1964. He volunteered. They didn't, even, they didn't have Hell Week back then. And the next thing he knows, he was on a helicopter over the Philippines, and they kicked him out. And he had to, it was on survival. He did three tours in Vietnam, 64, 65, 66. He was a tunnel rat and a diver. He got totally messed up in his head, totally messed up. When he came out of Vietnam, he blew up his marriage. He, uh, he became an alcoholic, a fifth of vodka every single day. He moved back to, to our state, and he, was, he, was, he worked for the government because you can't get fired. And um, so it's true. So one of the guys, uh, bring a friend Sunday, reached out to him and said, Ernesto, you're coming. I'm, you're, bring, you're my friend you're bringing. He said, I'm not going with you. See, some, when people say they don't want it, what they're actually saying is pursue them. And so he just wouldn't let up on Ernesto three days until he said, okay, I'll come one time and then leave me alone. So he came. He told me later, he said, I don't know, I was stuck in the middle of the auditorium. I said, I was wedged in, I couldn't get out, you know. And he said, I don't know, what, he said, somewhere in the middle of that service, he said, my whole body was broke out in sweat. And the next thing I know, he said, I don't know to this day how I did it, but I was standing in front of you. I gave my life to Christ. He said, it's like something, all the junk came out of me. Ernesto became our children's church pastor. He married Vivian, the former Miss New Mexico. I did the wedding. Oh, yeah, Ernesto did good. (laughs) To this day, Ernesto is in his middle 70s, and he pastors a church in Galveston, Texas. His whole life was radically altered because one guy stretched. One guy wouldn't wouldn't take no for an answer. One guy reached out and said, Ernesto, you're coming. You're coming. Are you with me? Are you with me? Are you with me? I want to challenge us. I'm challenging me just as much as you. Never stop stretching. Never stop reaching. There was a mom where was driving her kid, had to drive her son to school, and then she was going to go to work, and she was in the garage. The garage door was open. The little guy was late, and she was, she was going to be late, and she was honking the horn, and he, he ran through the house, ran into the garage, jumped in the car, she brought him to school. She went to work. And then afterwards, she picked him up and came home. When she came home, she opened up the garage door, 
and there was water on the floor of the garage. And she recognized what had happened. Evidently, when her son ran through the garage, he kicked. They had a freezer. He kicked the extension cord, I mean the cord of the freezer out of the wall. There was $400 worth of meat in there. She opened it up. It was all thawed out. Her husband was a pastor. She called him up. She explained what happened. She said, what are we going to do? He said, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. We're going to have a barbecue. <laughs> How many know that once meat is thawed out, you can't? Refreeze it. If you do, don't invite me. It's salmonella. And anyhow, so he came home early, fired up the grill. He said, tell all the neighbors don't cook. Tell the relatives don't cook. Come over. We're in a $400 steak chicken. He cooked it all up. Fed everybody. They were happy. He wasn't. Now he's got an empty freezer. He's got to fill it up again. He's laying in bed that night. It's 1030. One thing about if you're a pastor, at least you're trying to find a message in the problem. Get a little redemption going. He lay in there in bed, and he said God spoke to him. How many believe God talks? Spoke to him. Spoke to him. Laying in bed, 1030. Empty freezer. Fed everybody. Now he's got to buy $400. You do the math. That's $800. And God spoke to him. You want to know what he said? Do you want to know what he said? If you don't want to know, I'm not going to tell you. I'll wait till I come back. I want to tell people, you ever eaten ribs? You can't eat ribs dignified. You have barbecue sauce on them. You wear an old shirt. You have two towels, a wet one and a dry one, because the sauce is going to come down. You wipe the I want this. Just think like you're eating ribs. You got to get hungry. Laying in bed, empty freezer, ten thirty. God, there's got to be a message in this somewhere. God. Spoke to him. Want to know what he said? I'm going to tell you. 10.30 at night, laying in bed. You won't forget the message. Empty freezer. Now he's got to fill it. God, there's got to be a message in this somewhere. God spoke to him. Spoke to him. Spoke to him. Spoke to him. Want to know what he said? Yeah. See, 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 I'm doing this purposely because no woman wants to cook food for people that aren't hungry. She wants the aroma of the food to release their saliva glands in their mouth until they are saying, is it ready? And she says, almost. <laughs> and when it comes, my God, they just consume because when you're hungry, everything tastes good. 10.30 at night. <laughs> Laying in bed, empty freezer. God, there's got to be a message. I'm going to tell you now it's coming. No, it's good. I want you to just as worthy of a tweet. 
Here it is, here it is, here it is. It's a true story. Here it is, here it is, here it is. Life is perishable. If you don't give it away, the day will come where you have to throw it away. You can't save it. You can't save it. Life is a perishable commodity. This is perishable. Your gifts are perishable. What God's put in you is perishable. The only way it'll last is to give it away. The only thing it works is to stretch. The only way it'll live on is to stretch. And the moment I, there's no deep freeze. The moment I hang on to it, if I hang on to it, I have to throw it away. I've got to give it away for the thing to live. The only way it lives is to give it away, to stretch. That leads me, excuse me, to my last point, last point, last point, last point. Are you ready? I was in, um, usually once a year, this year we won't do it, but usually once a year we go to Botswana. We worked in Botswana, Africa, Southern Hemisphere for years. North of Botswana is, the, is what they call the Okavanga Delta. It's the largest inland delta in the world. It's formed by, the, uh, uh, by one of the major rivers that come down. Anyhow, it's the home to the greatest amount of elephants, over 600,000 elephants that roam that delta. More elephants there than any place in Africa. In fact, it's the number one safari destination in the entire continent of Africa now is the Okavanga Delta. It's amazing. It's Africa 500 years ago, 600. There's no, it's just, the, every, it's just wide open. But it's the home, the home to the Okavanga lion. My wife took a picture. I think I got a picture up there. These are young ones, real young. That's, that's just a barely a teenager. Now, let me tell you something about the Okavanga lion. The Okavanga lion is the biggest lion in the world. The average full-grown male lion weighs about 400 pounds. The Okavanga goes up to 500. They got bigger heads, bigger bodies, bigger chest. The Okavanga lion could do three things that no other lion has ever been capable of doing. You see, they live in a delta. Another word for a delta is a swamp. A delta is full of water. And because they live in a delta, they had to acquire skills. And those skill sets changed them physically. There's three things they do that no other lion does. Number one, they climb to the top of tall trees. Lions climb, but they don't like to. The, these lions have to. Second thing they do is swim. Now, all cats can swim, but they don't like to. These lions are forced to because they live in a delta. The third thing they do, which is my favorite, is the Okavanga lion. You can watch these guys on Nat Geo. They, have, they do them all the time on Nat Geo. The Okavanga lion can do, can kill the most dangerous animal in Africa, which is the hippopotamus. They've discovered how to do it. They Two of them jump, and they swing underneath them, and they grab into their juggler until they bring them down to their death. In Jesus' name. <laughs> now, why, why does that happen? Why do they do that? How do they develop that skill set? How do they get physically bigger? How, how come their head's bigger? Their chest is bigger? Why? How did they change? Because, listen, 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 because all life adapts to its environment. You can prove this anywhere in the world. All life, all life, all life 
all, are you with me? All life, all life will adapt to its environment. The reason why this, now that lion couldn't choose his environment. He was born into it. So as the years went by, they begin to change until they develop skill sets and strength in arenas that no other lion had because they had to adapt. They adapted. It's a scientific fact that all life will adapt to its environment. Why is that important for us? I love what Pastor Jurgen said. We don't build churches. We build altars. When you come into C3 Salt Lake City, there's an environment. That environment is an environment that will allow miracles to happen. God's power to move. Transformation. Healing. Deliverance. Freedom. It's an environment that as I come into that environment, my life will start to transform itself into the environment that I am placing myself in. Just like that lion will change his looks, change his ability, change his skill set. Things come out of that lion that only God put in there, but until the environment was such, those things weren't able to come out. There are things inside of you. There are tens of thousands of people in this city with things inside of them that will never come out of them, that need transformation, that need miracles. There's giftings inside of us that will never come out until we emerge ourselves inside of envir in an environment that allows us to change, to adapt to that environment. That's one of the reasons why we're here. That's one of the reasons why we need buildings. We don't build buildings, but in those buildings we create, we create altars. Altars are places of environmental shifts, environmental changes. And as we come inside that environment, we begin to change. Things in us begin to shift as a result of it. That's why it's so powerful. See, a lot of churches just have church. And people come and go and nothing happens. But we're not here to have church. We're here to create an altar. An altar that brings, that creates an environment. And you and I know that once you step into that, you can sense it. We call it the presence of God. You can sense something shifting. You can sense something opening up. Why did those stories happen? And why are the, ten, the hundreds and hundreds of stories that are going to come out of C3 Salt Lake about to happen? Because there's an environment that allows those things to come out, that allows those things to come forward, the gifts, the abilities, the talents, the skills, the miracles. I want you to stand up with me. Just stand up with me. Stand up with me. Stand up with me. If you're here today, as you're standing with your head bowed and your heart open, just contemplating for a moment what you've just heard, there's an environment that God's produced, an altar that he's placed right here. And in that environment, there's a shift, there's a transformation, there's something that can happen. It's going to happen right now to many of your lives. It's happened at the beginning. It's happening throughout this service. Something's taking the lid off. Listen to me. With your head bowed and your heart open, let me just talk for a moment. Some of you need to make a decision right now. You've sat long enough. You've seen a staleness occur in areas of your life, and you're saying, no, no more. I've, I've, I've got to stretch. I've got to stretch 
by giving. I've got to stretch by reaching. I've got to stretch, stretch by helping. I've got to stretch by giving of myself, my time, my talent, my treasury, something of me. I've got to stretch because I'm withering. I know in my heart that there's many right now. I just know it. It's strong in me that are God's dealing with you. You've got to stretch. And you're going to find a life, a well. I can see in my heart that some of you have a, a stone that's over a well of your life. And God's going to push the stone and a well of water, of, of life and of inspiration and of creativity and of strength, of enthusiasm and passion and purpose is going to spring up out of your life again as, as you stretch that thing's going to get pushed back. It's going to get pushed back. Don't take this lightly. Don't put it off. Make an internal commitment right now. God, that's me. I'm going to stretch. There's others of you right now with your head bowed and your heart open that you're here. And you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've heard about him or maybe you made one, but you've walked away. I'm going to count to three. And when I do, if any of you that would say, I, 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 I want to come back to him, I want to give my life to Jesus. Maybe you don't know him or you know him historically, but you don't know him personally, or you've known him and you've walked away and you're saying, today's the day. That's it. I'm coming back. My God, I'm coming back. Get ready to raise your hand. We're going to pray in just a moment. Get ready. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. One. Get ready. Jesus didn't die in a closet. He died on a hill. I'm not going to hide my faith. I'm going I'm to declare it. If you don't know him or you've known him and walked away, get ready to raise your hand because we're going to pray for you. This is your moment. Here we go. Here we go. Two. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, right now. Whatever you're going to do for God, do it right now. There's a moment where the Spirit of God begins to move. If I miss that moment, I can grieve the Holy Spirit. There's a moment right now. Don't delay it and don't put it off. With your head bowed and your heart open, get ready right now to raise your hand. You don't know him or you need to come back to him. Here we go. Here we go. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Three. If that's you, put your hand up across the auditorium. If that's you, just hold it up and say, I see that hand. That's uh, hard for me to see. Just hold it up. 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 Across the building, if that's you, just slip your hand up. Hold it up high enough. Don't be ashamed. Hold it up high enough where I can see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I'm looking again. I just want to make sure. I don't want to miss anybody. Looking across the auditorium, if you've got your hand up, and if that's you, here's what I want you to do. I want to pray with you. I want you to come down here real quickly. Just move. Just wherever you are, just move out. Move out of your seat. We're not here to embarrass you, but Jesus was not embarrassed when he went to a cross. And he died for our sins, and we're not going to be embarrassed to stand and to live for him. You raised your hand. I want you to come down. If you brought somebody, you know they need to be here. Bring them. Bring them, bring them, bring them, bring them, bring them. Just come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Quickly come, quickly come, quickly come. You're not coming to us. You're coming to him. You're coming to him. Just come on down, come on down. Quick, 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 quick. Wherever you are, just come down. This is the greatest decision you'll ever make. Just come. 
Now here's what I want to do. We're going to pray. And I want to ask Pastor Vince to come. We got more coming right over here. And it's fantastic, fantastic. I want to ask Pastor Vince because I'm going to ask him to pray. And the reason why I do is because this is the church God's planting you in. These are the pastors that God's placed here. And I want him to lead you to the throne of God's grace doing a prayer of salvation so you can connect with him and connect with C3, Salt Lake City. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 Salt Lake City, go to c3saltlakecity.com.